Hello and welcome to Keyframes, a podcast about anime. I'm your host once more, Ben Halliburton, and with me today is Andy. I'm not your host anymore. Hi. Duncan. Hello. <laughs> and Jeff. Hello. Yes, sorry for the uh, emergency disappearance of me in last episode. I moved to a new place and it turns out that all the cable hookups weren't connected to anything, so I <laughs> uh, couldn't connect to the internet. Classic moving experiences. Anyone mm -hmm. in any country on this planet can agree. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, back. And we are excited to talk about live action anime and manga adaptations. And then a few shows that we're watching since the beginning of the season is so staggered uh, right now. <laughs> we're like, I'm looking forward to a show that's coming out in November. And Duncan's <laughs> going to be talking about a show that just came out last night. Um, mm. When is the start of the, <laughs> the fall anime season? Who can say? But uh, first, Andy, why were you interested in this topic? Well, I mean, the recent <laughs> One Piece adaption came out and surprisingly it didn't totally blow. Uh, so I felt that it was kind of an interesting topic to sort of divulge or discuss what did work about live, what does work about live action adaptions and what doesn't work and why it is so constantly going wrong i'm looking at you attack on titan cowboy bebop death yeah. note the <laughs> list goes on um <laughs> oh i have watched the, the death note live action movies i've completely which, which that when we were talking about this what is we've the seen. thing which ones because i feel that one of them is actually not that bad it, like but there is also the recent netflix one which is atrocious oh, and that's justin one. bieber that's the one is that, that I've William seen. Dafoe? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. That's Ugh. bad. But there is there is a trilogy of net of Japanese developed live actions, which whilst the third one is dog shit, don't watch it, because it's like a weird thing about finding <laughs> L as a child. Um, the other two are pretty good because they end in a really good place. They end at like the final supper scene in the anime, basically. Like they all just find out who the killer, who L is and Yagami is or whatever. And and then they all die and it's great. And then you're just like, yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> it just changes uh, the story to make uh, just, it Just straight, straight into the weeds. Well, that, that brings up a good question, question Andy. Um, what makes a good adaptation? Is it about following the source material faithfully? Is it about using the strengths of the new medium to put out like different approaches like what actually this a good start what is the best anime or manga adaptation live action that you've seen and i know this might be a very low bar <laughs> for some to clear uh i have a hot take <laughs> hot take yeah hot take my away. Jeff. my because like i will also say that i am like ben i have limited exposure to live action adaptations however my theory of good adaptations is that a you have to have a genuine like respect for the source material either because mm -hmm. the original uh, creator is involved or because the people who are involved just genuinely liked it Two, you have to actually be good at making movies or TV shows, <laughs> which, you know, yeah. the, getting to even two out of three big accomplishment and three, you have to have enough juice to actually overturn the decisions of the suits who don't have the first two and are worried about their millions of dollars <laughs> coming back to them at some point. And which is why, in my opinion, my favorite uh, ad anime adaptation is the Battle Angel Alita 
movie by uh, Robert oh Rodriguez yeah. and James Cameron. I forgot I watched that too. I'm just, <laughs> no, I'm just putting all this down the memory hole. I, I have the I have the ultimate answer, but you you guys go ahead. Um, oh, I think because like <laughs> what, what? So you think you think it's just generally genuinely a good transformative adaptation of the source material, Jeff? Is that I, what you're saying? I do. Like I I have. I watched it recently. I, I blew it off because it was another one of those like oh yeah everybody Awful. hated it because okay yeah yeah <laughs> because you know the haters and losers were <laughs> dragging big Jim and <laughs> finally it got enough like sort of ironic juice behind it of people saying yeah actually you know I like this movie this movie and Jupiter Ascending are the two best movies ever made you know that kind of uh-huh. uh, that kind of stuff and. I finally sat down and watched it and I genuinely enjoyed it. Like I know James Cameron had been trying for decades to get this made. Mm, yeah. I think Robert mm-hmm. Rodriguez, you know, for all of its flaws, like I also enjoyed his Sin City uh, movie. I liked. Yeah. Like, Sin City was good. The, uh, oh shit. Hold on a second. I just bumped my microphone and now it is making a whole bunch of background sounds. Okay. I genuinely enjoyed his Sin City movie. Um, the kids have been watching Spy uh, Spy Kids. kids. Th- that came out too late for me to really enjoy because it was like early two thousands. But like for a ten year old, that those movies are great. And again, Spy Kids has some of the best worst CG in the world. Oh yeah, like <laughs> this is like this is like just a dude who likes making movies and making like dumb stuff on screen, and that is a big part of making anime work is like just sort of leaning into that stuff and taking it seriously, but also like allowing it to be strange. Like the choice to make uh, the lead actress on Battle Angel Alita, whose name is uh, Rosa Salazar. Mm -hmm. Uh, Having her have like the giant weird eyes is very off-putting. And I worried you were going to defend this. I'm not, I'm not going to defend it. It is, it is a thing that makes the movie uncanny and it makes like, and that's, that's the whole point of the character is that she's just like this weird, uncanny, like out of context character, you know, trying to survive in this world. And that's, you know, that's the vibe of the story. And I think it works well. And like, uh, Christoph Waltz is like putting his entire ass into being this like dumb rocket hammer wielding professor. And there's just like, there's a lot of talent and a lot of love going into it. And I'm not going to say it's like a great movie. I'm saying it's my favorite anime (laughs) adaptation, which is like a big ass qualifier. But I think, I think it's, I think it has, you know, it's it's the closest we're going to get having, you know, the three pillars of a good adaptation actually happening. I think it's interesting you you spoke about him having also adapted Sin City because I think if you look at comic book adaptations, you can see some of the pitfalls that um, anime and manga adaptations fall into because Mm -hmm. famously Watchmen is just like a scene for scene remake and they they just... Mm -hmm. Didn't it was a completely untransformative uh, adaptation, yeah. and some people well, love no, that. Sorry, that's not true. They changed a huge part of Watchmen. They changed the ending, which yeah. upset a lot of people. But they sh- some things were shot panel for panel, like in mm-hmm. terms of its that's visual true. language. It was Just why the fights took so fucking long. Yeah, and, <laughs> and <laughs> every single hit has to be. And then you've got yeah. something like Sin City, which uh, was wholly going for the mood. Like it, it just put everything into nailing, in, nailing the mood and not, not worrying about ke- keeping 
the uh, beat to beat thing and it went for a very transformative art style and i think that's one of the m and then you have things like most of the marvel films which are not based on comics they are amalgamations mm, yeah. they're based on a license there's no in very rarely there is a, a, a specific comic adapted it's just okay we'll take some from this we'll take some from that and we'll work around this general idea it's they're the loosest possible adaptations well, I, I thought that avengers kind of followed the comics very I mean, that's that's a tricky thing because they often are inspired by storylines, but they're almost mm -hmm. always like blends or pastiches or just like crude welding together of like the most popular storylines from from this and that. And um, I used to like it. And now there's been a million Marvel movies. And I'm just tired <laughs> yeah, of, that, I, I... Of, <clears throat> of just this distilled, this distillation of 50 years of comics yeah. that is like the way that Disney's doing it these days. It felt now the movies are falling into the same trap that the comics did, which was everybody fucking hates the multiverse. Um, and there's yeah. no agency now in Marvel movies. Anyway, the actual best live action adaptation of a manga slash anime, as we all know, is Old Boy by Park Chan-wook. Um, because... No, actually, I think you think he's man's got it. Hard to argue with him. If we all, if we uh... all agree to be like some of our other spotlights, <laughs> where we're just like, yeah, I didn't like the, the, the dual movie structure either. I think it... <laughs> Go ahead, Andy. No, I mean, I, I think, I'm, I'm, I'm I think a fake anime fan, so I didn't even know that that was an adaptation of a manga. And, 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 this, and, this and it also makes the like the thing. ending a lot more make like you know comes and snaps yeah. into place. It's like, oh, is this based on a manga? That's why it's so fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah. And this is the other thing I think that you really have to take into account is you have to choose a manga source that nobody realized is a manga. <laughs> like, like I don't. I mean, that's the that's the victory, right? When yeah. no one like I've told people. Well, I'll, I'll be talking about drops of God when it comes to my turn, but like they very successfully hid that it was a manga. It just seems yeah. like its own thing, mm. which I think is I'd, for some people, definitely not. But for me, like a mark of distinction for an adaptation when you don't even occur, yeah. it doesn't even occur to you. Like, did someone write this before they made it into a movie? I, and the other one is, uh, the other one of course is Battle Royale. which was a manga. Was first. That um, well, I, yeah. I, 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 mean, I thought that book. was like novel first then mango. Or am I wrong about that? I mean, I, I, there okay, is a manga doesn't matter anyway, it. but no. it doesn't matter about the origins, but it's <laughs> yeah. basically based it's, off of those. It's interesting that you mentioned both those two, because there was kind of a little, a little mini era. Cause I think roughly at the same time, um, we also had Ichi the killer and, mm -hmm. uh, mm. There, there was actually a ping pong li live action well yeah, before we got the anime. And I think they were around yeah. about the same, same, uh, same, same vintage. Yeah. 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 And so I don't know what, what caused that little bloom. Maybe some publishing house just like, okay, right, we're going to license out our properties. Uh, we're going to see who wants them. And th I think also Sanan is a big pull as to what makes a movie adaption work well. Like I recently watched the Fable adaption, which is a, another seinen show manga that got adapted live act into a live action, and that was in 2019. So that was like really recently. That was actually pretty good. It stayed faithful to the source material, and just because the source material looks like the real actors and it's set in a in a yakuza real world in like Yokohama, like 
it worked really, really well. Yeah, and and a lot of those you've named are grounded pieces. They're not mm. fantasy. Yeah. They, they, you don't have to have weird special effects, which we will get to when we come to, <laughs> to my bit. bit. Um, but Ben, Ben seems anxious and is uh, stroking his beard. So I think yeah. it's time. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, that's just that's unfortunately a habit that I've picked up that makes edit- editors of my podcast love me. But. Um... <laughs> So I've kept it up, you know. Yeah. The ASMR on the beard scratch. Love it. Speaking of speaking of being special, uh, <laughs> no. So, like a lot of the time. So I'm just going to go ahead and, and stake my claim as I explain as I explain my favorite. I, I have been intermittently interested in live action adaptations of anime and manga, but there is there are production and acting uh, standards in Japan that are just different than Western. Mm-hmm. The the just like different. the very sitcommy lighting. Um, higher frame rate cameras that make things look more soap opera-y mm. and generally like very outsized performances that almost always completely tug me out of the uh, tug me out of the experience. So if I had to pick like a adaption adaptation of a manga made by Japanese people, it would probably be Blue Blazes where like the huge excessive performances and the kind of vague cheapness of it all um, really works for me. Cause it's yeah. just a bunch of idiots in in college. And even if you strip away like all the bad parts, it's still the main guy who I, I wish I had pulled up his name, just like making ridiculous faces at the camera. Yeah. There's like one moment where he's just like, has his mouth open, like making like hissing sighing noises, like <laughs> inches away from someone's face. And like that sort of like hyper reality works for me. While if I try to watch the Kimi ni Todoke live action adaptation, it just feels like I'm watching a bad soap opera that won't stop reminding me of an anime that I did not like, but enjoyed more than, uh, enjoyed more than the live action adaptation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the best thing I've watched recently, it's an international production on Apple TV, uh, of drops of God, the, the infamous two thousands, uh, manga and that one is um i think it's an italian french japanese co-production it uh is the la- it's it's wow. uh the dialogue is in french italian english and japanese they've changed one of the characters to french they've changed the dead the dead like wine expert to be french and so it's got this very sort of international feel and it's written by a uh um from his name uh kwok dang Chong, I think, is how you say it. It's a ja- it's a Vietnamese name, but he uh, okay. but he's French born and mostly works in in French TV. And this is someone who really just like rewrote everything to be modern. Uh, I'm sure there's someone out there who's having a meltdown about how <laughs> unfaithful it is to the to the manga. But like twelve tastings in ten episodes is going to be a very weird thing. So it's just it's just a three stage test, and it's focuses much more on the character relationships, and again allows for this like really these extreme emotions that I think is something that often suffers when you trans translate from manga or anime to live action. People look stupid, like having these like extreme manga reactions. So you kind of have to have some sort of bizarre thing, like she being someone who can't, if she has a strong flavor, she has a nosebleed or even passes out. And yeah, I have to have a, have yeah, to have yeah. a very anime reaction but- that works when it's like the world of super powered wine tasters. But that, and that is in many ways sort of like, true with any adaptation like even when you look at dubs from japanese to english like Mm, mm -hmm. it is painful listening to japanese english dubs especially when it's like a mascot character like teddy from persona 4 um like you just it it doesn't that it doesn't work so it's just like even (laughs) that small extrapolation of changing it from japanese to english 
just falls on its face. And so, of course, when you take the anime language and world itself and trying to make it real, it's it's definitely not going to work. Like, <laughs> it's so hard to, yeah. to get... Like, I think that's the really important thing is like the script. It's so important to make sure it's a grounded, realized script. Otherwise, you have the Dragon Ball movie. Yeah. Uh, which... Oh, Evolution. I guess I've watched that too. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've forgot so much bad manga adaptations into movies. Oh, geez. yeah. Dragon that... Ball Evolution. Truly. Fuck, that was terrible. Truly one of the worst that things was... I've ever watched that... in the theater. Well, mm. uh, What's the main guy, bad guy? Uh, fuck. Piccolo. All I know is Piccolo's in there, and there's one scene, it's the only scene I remember, where there's two guys, like, planning, and Piccolo just rolls in during a thunderstorm. He just walks into the room, kills both of them, and walks back out, and, like, <laughs> the group in front of us just exploded into laughter. <laughs> like, and, like and Dragon Ball Drive-By, they're yelling at the screen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, like, he had like five minutes of screen time and you better be really yeah. scared of him. And I'm like, I don't know who this guy is. Like, <laughs> oh no, there's an after credit sequence to show that like there's a bigger villain uh, who will actually do something to threaten the protagonists uh, if they ever get a sequel, which is I think a lot of the problem is like, yeah, that's, that's, that's the thing that I always come across is like you have when you're doing an adaptation, especially one that you feel is mostly going to be beholden to current fans, which we can discuss whether or not like the One Piece adaptation or the Death Note adaptation, we're trying to placate existing fans or court new ones. But um, you have to like give them some money shots, but you also can't rush through the plot too much or they'll just complain on message boards about how they didn't capture the scene when someone shed one tear oh, over <laughs> something or other. Uh, you, cause, and that's when you like, when you do a movie adaptation, especially you have to show all the cool stuff, but you have to like have an after credit sequence. If it's during the period in history yeah. and after credit sequences were ubiquitous to like tell people like, Oh, don't worry. You were worried that we couldn't get far enough to adapt the, I don't know the like pooflinger arc. Uh, but here's a, here's a, <laughs> here's a preview to reassure you. Like we're going to get there. If you just like tell all your friends to come see our movie eight times in a row. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't even work when it comes to like the mysterious streaming numbers of Netflix. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it's it's something I wouldn't want to do, and I, I do crap all over Battle Angel Alita, but it was a decent time. Edward Norton seemed profoundly bored, but that's probably because he's a good <laughs> I mean, actor and this was not a good movie. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, I, like, I couldn't adapt Battle Angel Alita better. I would probably say no, which is why I'm not as accomplished as yeah. Robert Rodriguez or James Cameron. <laughs> uh, yeah. So my choice is actually the One Piece live adaptation. Uh, but Really? And the reason I will say this is, as I've discussed previously, I recently just ducked in and out of the One Piece anime, uh, just basically watching battle scenes, just just grabbing the good stuff, fast forwarding past the, the rest. And at its best, those are, it, those are outstanding action scenes, just amazing kinetic displays with just this incredible rubber man bouncing everywhere. And and I thought the action was kind of terrible in in this and the reason i think it's my favorite is because it actually shifted what i liked about the the show completely in that i i thought the performance of it uh, in aki godoi was absolutely amazing like he he carries that show luffy as a character is is in 
my experience of him watching the anime is just like, oh, he's just the, the most anime of anime characters. He's like, oh, I'm going to shout my finishing move. I'm never going to give up. I'm going to fight the hardest. I'm going to win. And then everyone's going to cheer me on. I find that kind of insufferable. And then Inaki Godoi is there just being this incredibly sincere, almost cringeworthy uh, character, but just carrying it through sheer joy in it he's just like yeah i'm gonna be king of the pirates and he's just like everyone's like that's ridiculous mm. luffy and he's like but, but, he, but he absolutely carries it with his performance i see the appeal of this character i had a, a, a question for you andy which is i found some of the rest of the crew, crew quite annoying like yep. um yep. Is, is that something which is true in the anime as well are they annoying because <laughs> it's like uh-huh. usopp um, usopp was kind of insufferable yeah yeah well good good news he's insufferable in the anime book. okay um, that's, that's, just, that's, that's an authentic one authentic yeah and Based. i th- and i thought it was kind of strange that initially uh, zoro was also kind of just nothing just like this tuny bro try hard mm. and then the to, towards the latter episodes they introduce sanji and suddenly you've got the this this like wisecracking uh, wannabe ladies man and this this sto- stoic idiot and they actually make quite a good pairing they they, they bounce off each other well yeah I, I i mean zoro's character introduction is different anyway okay i'm not gonna get into that <laughs> but did you, did you enjoy him when he was in the early part of it or did did he grow on you as well his character in the anime is he he nailed it the the real thing that changes is the character growth of him being beaten by mihawk which mm. is a shame that they ruined mihawk's introduction because it's so fucking cool is that because it's something which they couldn't do without a huge budget no cuz they kind of did half of it anyway they okay. did the shot where he like swiped a sword and blew up a ship okay like but he's on a beach Okay. In the anime, he's on a boat. He's on his little coffin boat, which is literally a coffin to really nail that vampire hunter reference. Uh, and then he just fucking like <laughs> swipes his sword and destroys one of the show- the boats that another character is like attacking the Barity with. Um, and yeah, then he just sails in and then Zoro challenges him. So it's like the same kind of event. And there is a quite a fun callback as well because... He is actually fighting on the beach the same people who he is fighting whose ship he destroys. Just less... less they just ha- didn't need as much CG. Didn't, yeah. How many boats do we have to uh, animate? <laughs> well, fuck that. Okay, you're going on the beach. Yeah, but then also, like, when, when, when he defeats uh, Zorro, he just kind of steps left of screen and then is never seen again. And you're just like, well, there's sea there. There's nothing fucking there. Where are you going, mate? Whilst in the manga and the anime, he's like, he just gets on his boat and then sails off. And you're like, okay, well, you can see him get on a... I just, I don't understand why they can spend a lot of pointless shots uh, establishing stuff that I don't care about, but Mm. they won't (laughs) spend a shot of a guy in a coffin boat when they've got enough budget to fucking build a like a massive restaurant the, the merry go is the real fucking ship in one piece and mm. so is the barity they are real sets and you can tell because they're by far the most impressive parts of the show yeah um and and then they were like nah we can't afford money on a wooden coffin <laughs> that'll look stupid yeah i that that's that's also a problem with like the netflix pipeline like yeah 
it's it's weird to like look at like who directed episodes of the One Piece TV series, and you're looking at like directors from uh, that do like random episodes of The Witcher and random episodes mm-hmm. of Doctor Who, and it's just like it's just like anybody like there's not. I know it's it's yeah. it's easy to say like oh they should have had one director with a strong vision, um, but I think Netflix is kind of scared of having like mm-hmm. really powerful showrunners. We say that, but anime has episode directors who have a lot of power and a lot of visual uh, leeway within their episodes. And I don't think that generally is to its detriment. But I mean, yeah, because take the One Piece anime is a perfect example. So the One Piece anime, it used to be that there was one director per arc. Mm-hmm. And then that became unmanageable at the cake arc. So the Wano Kuni arc, they actually have three directors each doing an episode in turn. So what, they're, they're um, like one, two, three, one, two, three. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, which in many ways is impressive just because they still manage to continue, have that continuity running through the whole show. Um, yeah, like it, it can work. I think the other thing with the One Piece live action is, is Echiro Oda, the mangaka, actually spent a lot of time and effort into the production and making sure that like everything worked he he apparently spent a long time working with script writers with the directors to make sure that his vision wasn't sullied and even though i think he said like it's the best it's ever gonna be which is kind of of shits on it a little bit and and honestly (laughs) and, and unfortunately i'm cynical enough that like that's there to like provide a bulwark against criticism online if if yeah. it flops, especially if and if uh, Netflix learned anything from Cowboy Bebop, which mm. uh, Shinichiro Watanabe seemed largely indifferent about coming out. Uh, <laughs> like you, like having the having the uh, the creator of the source material be like, oh yeah, I saw it and I loved it. As long as they're not like out there being Alan Moore, I feel like it's <laughs> it's a bit of a PR yeah. exercise. Yeah. Um... And to be fair, what I did enjoy, again, like what I enjoyed about the One Piece stuff was um, a lot of the set design and production. Like I loved the way they had Dende Mushies. That was really good. Those, I, that's the snail phones, I the assume. The snail phones I had were the, really... I, it's, it's like, if you were going to name check one very strange specific thing out the show, it's going to be the snail phones. And it's I, such a, a strange like pun in Japanese about of, like a, a phone. Um, and the way that it's incorporated in the One Piece anime, it works. It works well in the live action as well. They've they've put a lot of love and effort into making these stupid snail things yeah. look like <laughs> they do in the uh, in the manga. And the same with like the 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 seagull that delivers newspapers as well. Like I'm surprised they put that in as well. Like so, and then also yeah, like. The first few episodes I wasn't that impressed with. I wasn't impressed with the buggy arc all being in a tent. That was really boring and reeked of cheap production. Yep. The <laughs> second two arcs where um, the where you were doing uh, Usopp's arc was all in a single building. It was really boring and the buildings made no fucking sense. Um, and it felt like they only had the budget for one corridor um one corridor two rooms and then randomly a bunch of clothes the production was all over the place it's basically what i'm trying to get at the episode one to three were really cheap oh and four actually sorry i forget that it is a double episode with usopp's background which again usopp's character wasn't very well described either 
Um, and like for when it wasn't just a dark room or a weird room full of plates, it it was like all looking like Pirates of the Caribbean, which is another thing I really hated because it feels like One Piece as a show, every island has its unique identity. And that was completely missing from the live action One Piece. Um, but then <clears throat> when I went to Sanji's The Badity Arc, you could tell yeah. they put a lot of effort and love into that, which was exactly when all the group come together. And then Arlong's arc, whilst it doesn't stay faithful to the manga in a few places, absolutely fine. Because I felt that they still managed to nail like a few of the important scenes. And they also managed to nail the overall feeling of the Arlong Park arc even if it didn't really make much sense why there's a bunch of fishmen who also have slides in their mm -hmm. fish park world um <clears throat> it was i mean if we're talking about one piece and like the islands making sense has never really been yeah really that big of a of an issue and mm -hmm. i don't know when the last time you watched like the or, or read very early one piece but like uh really recently like the last couple of really? months yeah, yeah, yeah. We, I, I, I have started rereading One Piece um, from episode oh, okay. chapter one. And sorry, you go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say the the uh, the notion that the islands all have their own individual identity doesn't really start coming up until they actually hit the Grand Line. And that I'll, is like, true. And you could like and like like Arlong Park is where it sort of starts, and but like all like the buggy arc and all of that, like those could all take place at the same town. And other than the fact that they aren't, you know, pre blown up by the previous well, battles, you, you wouldn't really notice the difference. I, I yeah. don't know. You, you would see that Usopp's arc. He is very much based in fields and beautiful, uh, beautiful rolling fields and vistas with enough room to hide a ship in a cave. Whilst in Buggy's arc, it's all in one, it's all in a town, a big city with the mayor as well. And the dog, which again, got a hint, a reference to, but I just found it really weird. So there is one character in the anime who has like really dumb sort of like judge locks and has a dog that is very like guards it. And that's how the original like buggy arc starts. And in the live action, he's just a dude who looks fucking weird amongst a group <laughs> of normal people. And then all of a sudden <laughs> has like a few lines. And I guess it's like, a knowing wink to the anime and manga fans. But for those who aren't anime and manga fans, I just see it as them being like, what the fuck's this guy's deal? Like, mm -hmm. why is he like this? It, it's, yeah. and he's, he's not in it enough for you to really think about it, but he's in it there for you to be like, huh? Okay. That's odd. Um, <clears throat> the, to, to, to go what to Jeff was saying earlier, there definitely were points where, this was the suits did not sign off on what they wanted to do like mm. you can you can feel like that and if i was going to say there was one real weakness to it i'd say there's the the directorial styles were kind of bland like yeah. except for the points where someone did something noticeably bad um like episode four just 
some reason started shooting in fisheye lenses. I have no idea uh-huh. why mm-hmm. that came around, but it was like <laughs> oh, suddenly, suddenly, suddenly someone's discovered their their first year of art school, and it's like, wow, fisheye lenses! I can I can swap from one person looking to the other person. It's just like they're looking at each other, and it's like, no, uh-huh. why the fuck are you doing this? It's completely, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't fit with any of the visual language mm-hmm. you've had so far. It's just come mm-hmm. out of nowhere. I think you're spot on, Andy, in saying that the, there's no sense of geography. Like, the East Blue as a place, I have no idea what how that is different from any, any other place. It's just kind of vaguely Spanish main, and mm. that's about it. But the... The, the Mary and the uh, Barche, like those those sets, those sets were were spot on, and yeah. like where they got the 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 budget to do the sets and to to actually fully bring in the world, like that was a, a step up from everything else. Um, th- when uh, they do uh, Sanji's backstory and he's he's sitting on this big. Um, stone in the middle of the sea with the t- tide coming in and, and out around it um like is, is that how it's it's drawn in mm-hmm. in the the manga like a big apple core sitting in the middle of the ocean pretty much but- yeah like <clears throat> again that this is to the credit more i think of uh Echelo Oda's like writing is that these stories are still very memorable and hit very well even if they're maybe not adapted incredibly well uh, like that is how that is how Sanji's backstory is, and that's why he wants to find the all blue and like with uh, red leg chef again. Chef Zef. Well, good names all round. Great uh, names. Like, <laughs> of which a particular highlight has to be Garp. Yeah, it's like someone's burped or something rather than <laughs> it's like Garp. Garp. Oh, pardon me. Uh, I... Yeah, I actually enjoyed so, so there are some people who are really enjoying chewing scenery yes. Garp is one of them his Scottish voice actually lent that character very well as the other one um, that really stood up stood out for me was the axe hand Morgan the guy the first guy who has this metal brace in the anime he has like a whole bottom chore which is metal mm-hmm. but in the live action he just has this weird like brace on his face and yeah it works because he just, you can clearly tell he's trried to move his bottom mouth as well, as little as possible. And he's <laughs> having a lot of fun. And same with Garp, actually. I thought Garp was, was also like pretty well done. Uh, I, I liked his Scottish accent. I like his, his, his actually like representation of Garp as a important character in the live action uh, worked very well. And also the fact that Garp's that is a wholly original story. So Garp does get introduced that early, but he doesn't like chase them across to okay. it's actually another character called Smoker um who mm-hmm. chases okay. them. Okay. Um and so but the Helmeppo and Kobe is canon, but okay. it's not told in the anime, it's told through these like little side bits, these single shots at the beginning of every manga chapter. Um so yeah, I I really enjoyed that. Like the training of Helmo and Helmeppo and Kobe with Garp was actually really good. I enjoyed that a lot, uh, and I thought it worked because you couldn't have too much characters. Like you just you'd just be impossible to introduce so many fucking characters. But yeah. um, the fact that they just they they slimmed it down to just Garp, I thought worked well. 
it's just slightly concentrated them into one scene and, and just made sure like you've got the dynamic between these characters and the wider thing worked out later. Mm. I mm. think one of the things which like my final thought on 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 this is that I think that one of the reasons uh, One Piece has maybe been one of the more successful uh, anime adaptations is because it's also one of the most Western settings. Like you do not get any more traditional than like pirates and hijinks, especially when, as as I have been trying to point out to you, like this is something which is cribbing extremely strongly from Terry Gilliam's The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, which was an example of a film where you could basically spend every bit of money you can get your hands on to produce a work of love with these incredibly intricate sets and wonderful design it, it like famously won like every production award going when it was released and was a complete and utter commercial flop it completely <laughs> tanked and was it was like notorious for how much money it lost for a while and that's probably why you don't get more than one or two sets per production it's like yeah, yeah. You may want. It's good that you can have a little bit of Baron Munchausen, but you can't have a lot. A lot's bad for you, and uh, rots your teeth and our profits. And, and and I think this is going to be the problem with One Piece going onwards, going forwards. Is that like the whole point of the show is that you go to new islands, and every island is a different world, a different thing, a different set. They can't reuse sets apart from the Merry Go, apart from the one ship, and then even that ship disappears in about five arcs time. Uh, like, like it's, it's just not. I don't know. It's I just can't see it. That's be, why it'll get cancelled in five arcs time. I don't even think it'll be. I'm. I. I don't. I don't know. I am obviously happy that it is getting more serious shows because I think it's clearly, as a fan of One Piece, it's clearly got a lot of attention and people. Some people like something. I don't know exactly what because I can't place my finger on it, but it has clearly touched an audience in the West and presumably the East as well. I imagine maybe a lot of it is just the Western, like the Eastern, you know, uh, Eastern fans just subscribing to Netflix so that they can watch um, a weird live action adaption of One Piece. I can't really see how else it would work, but <laughs> it's... Um, it's not the worst it could it could be terrible and to be honest the fact that it even pulled something that is half decent is actually quite impressive because i think that it's so unique and so bizarre to adapt one piece of all the things that they could have adapted like that is the one that like you could adapt naruto technically better than one piece i feel cuz as long as you keep it restrained to like japanese idea everything in like Japanese settings, Japanese works, Japanese, like, you know, everything is, because it's got a very Japanese identity to it, that would work well, as opposed to this weird sort of mix of, I don't know, like Western styles, I guess. But yeah, I don't well, know what's going to happen. of the Caribbean, Andy, and that's, that's why it's an easy pitch. Yeah, mm -hmm. well, that is true. Um, there's not any Japanese-themed shows that have been successful in the West at all. Um, so yeah, uh, anyway, shall we move on? 
One Piece. Weird that it worked. I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy that it's here. Um, I, I. Do you want more? Do you? Are you looking forward to more? I'm looking forward to more to see how. Because to be fair, like there are a lot of people who I who have been like my sister, my daughter is a massive anime fan, and I watched this with them. You know, like, mm. and then they watched it, and they maybe don't appreciate or like everything, but. They at least watched it and got to appreciate something of the show. Um, I am excited to see more, especially because they're going to bring Chopper. And I don't know how the fuck they're going to do Chopper. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I'm also, I just, I guess it's going to end in Alabaster, which is the best arc. Like one of the all time favorite arcs, I think. Um, but they're probably going to murder it because it needs more than two episodes. Uh, yeah. That's my overall feelings. <laughs> well, it got it got that second season greenlit pretty fast, which it really did, uh, which is kind of surprising, uh, honestly. Obviously, did good numbers. Uh, hopefully, that means a reasonable budget going forward. And that's the other mm -hmm. thing. I don't. I don't think there will be right because the budgets just get lower and lower. As because this is the other thing about TV shows, right? Like you set a TV show, you set the set, you set the. You've set a budget and it's expensive at first, but then they decrease it as it goes on because you've already got the budgets and locations and sets already set up, as it were. Like you don't need to recreate those sets every season. Whilst with this show, you will. Like you will have to, you can't reuse Alabaster when they go to fucking Skypea. Andy, if Amazon is willing to blow like 200 million on making a, a Lord of the Rings show to try and set itself up as like a prestige television company, then I can imagine Netflix blowing a considerably uh, smaller amount on One Piece to try and break into the Japanese market more than it already has. That's fair, but I feel that they're doing that in other ways. I feel that they're doing, they're doing like Japanese, they're doing shows that are aimed at a Japanese audience as opposed to this weird mid, like halfway house. Like they, they have like, I mean, Terrace House obviously rest in peace, but that was very successful yeah. for them. Uh, you've also got other things like Run for the Money and all those like game shows that they're trying to pull, pull, pull over. Okay. Like they don't necessarily need a live action anime adaption to necessarily to get the Japanese audience. Um, well, they seem to be having a lot of co-production animes as well. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, we will yeah, talk about true. the scourge that has brought to our lives so, uh, <laughs> in a, a short bit, or at least to our, our sense yeah. of end of time and uh, seasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do we want to do we want to take a quick break and then hop into what we've been watching? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's And we're back. For the second half, we'll be talking about Soso no Freren, or Freren Beyond Journey's End. I forget the full title of the Apothecary Show. We'll be talking about 100 Girlfriends Actually Love You, or whatever it's called. And we're <laughs> going to start with Kengen Ashura. Yeah, Kengen Ashura. Jeff. Something that just kept popping up on uh, Netflix. Fans of the show will remember that I'm a Baki enjoyer. And so the preview came up. Um, a new season has just started and it's just like a guy like spinning around in a circle 
and announcer like freaking out and saying this guy is too good at karate it's insane and i was just like okay i'll, I'll give this a, a shot because it's got that sort of baki energy and i've watched i think the first six or seven episodes and i gotta say that if you are like dying for a like burly guys fighting in parking lots anime this is like weak methadone to just watching baki again it's unfortunate. Um, it is created by uh, Yabako Sandrovich, uh, who is the mangaka who also made How Heavy Are the Dumbbells You Lift, which was a sort of lighthearted uh, working out anime from a few years ago. You enjoyed. Uh, yeah, I, I I quite liked it. Mm. For a like cute girls doing cute things show, I thought it was not bad. Apparently, this that show takes place in the same world <laughs> as Kengen Ashura. I don't know that if that's ever like... Yeah, that is that is true. That, and it's also the same one as Baki as well. Like They're all related. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to put on my tinfoil hat and say that Kengen Ashura exists because Baki went out of publication briefly in 2012. Uh, the final arc of Baki, where he finally like fights his dad and like beats him at imaginary miso soup making was in June of 2012. And the first volume of Kengan Ashura went on sale in December of 2012. And so <laughs> I feel like they, he was tapped to fill a void of parking lot fistfight animes and, or mangas, I should say. And you, you can really kind of tell, uh, I'll actually talk about the show now. Um, so <laughs> it takes place in a version of Japan where all of the all business deals are secretly being settled behind the scenes by basically one-on-one combat between champions being paid by various companies in Zaibatsu. So you know, if there is a building being torn down, you're gonna like hire a karate expert or a master assassin to fight in uh you know in in that dilapidated building and whoever wins the fight their sponsor then gets to own the uh you know own the rights to redeveloping that land and the uh you know and the crowd is all made up of like you know insane degenerate monstrous like business guys again like you know, in the way that Baki sort of imagines a world where like everybody is like weirdly not only intimately familiar with MMA, but also is like in touch with it in a spiritual sense where if two guys are like fighting each other well enough, you will just naturally attract a crowd of like thousands to the point where like the Japanese self-defense force has to be called out to hold them back lest they, you know, interrupt this fight, which would, you know, it the equivalent of two nuclear powered countries going to war with each other. In this, it's again, sort of weak methadone where like Sandrovich is just not weird enough and stupid enough to replace Itagaki as somebody who like really just believes in the power of fist fighting in a parking lot. And it's really <laughs> unfortunate. Like, is it a different mangaka then? Um, oh yeah, it's it's a uh, uh, Yubako Sandrovich. As far as I can tell, like he is he has a very similar story where he has like he is. As far as I know, he was actually a, a fighter or he trained to fight at some point, and then he got into manga as well. Whereas Itagaki, as far as I know, has only ever been a mangaka. I'm not an expert on his personal life, unfortunately. Maybe I should become one. 
Yeah, it just it just like artistically, it looks very similar. I and and I don't think that is a mistake. Like like I said, like no, one all. of the bigger arcs of Baki Baki ended right before this began, and I think they were looking for somebody to fill that that spot in the market. And understandable. Maybe the the manga is better because this adaptation is like it's all 3D CG. It looks very ugly. Occasionally, it will get. You know, the action will get quick enough and the cuts will be, you know, interesting enough that you won't be as distracted by it. But when it's just like people walking around and they're just like doing the like the blender, like default walk uh, animations and stuff like that, it's it mm. can be really distracting and unfortunate. Are the fights good? Or are they dynamically done? Is it well choreographed? I mean, they're not bad. They're not fantastic. Like it at its best, it, they look like a decent super move cutscene from street fighter or something like that hmm. where hmm. you'll get like you know a fun camera angle and like you know an impossible physical feat being pulled off with like decent effects and cuts to sort of like lend weight to it and it does pull that off occasionally and like a lot of the show is the fights so you know if you're just there for the action like i said It'll be weak methadone, but it'll probably get you through the day and like take the shakes away. But like all like the deep dumb lore that I really enjoy in Baki just really isn't there. Mm. So it's unfortunate. I gave it a try. I don't know if I'll go back for more. Honestly, is it a Netflix production? Um, uh, yes, it is. Yeah, hence the cheap CGI a lot of the time. Sadly, yeah, yeah. not always. Is that a is that a segue or well, yeah, it, can be, it yeah. can be? I'm tr- it can. struggling frantically. Well, if you well, fuck it. Uh, I I've been watching uh, the 100 Girlfriends who really 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 love you. Um, this is maybe of everything that's coming out that isn't the other two shows that we're discussing. This is probably my one of my highlights for this season. Basically, the story is uh, about a guy called uh, Rentoro Aijo who gets rejected a bunch of times in his middle school. Then during high school, he um, is confessed to by a god that he was filling out the uh, registry forms for everyone's matchmaking. And instead of putting one girlfriend, he's, he accidentally put 100. So he's going to get 100 um, soulmates in his life. And if he refuses the advances of any of those soulmates, those soulmates will die because they are inextricably linked to him. So he then goes to school, not believing it, only to find two girls, Hannah, uh, Hikari and Karane, all headlessly and hopelessly in love with him. And it's basically a huge rom-com parody that I really enjoy. Every character has an enjoyable twerk, uh, quirk or trope of Work. the romance genre. The, the... <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. Cut blah, this. Blah, blah, blah. I flubbed a bit. <laughs> wow. I didn't think I'd get... I Sorry, a hundred girlfriends twerking is a bit much. <laughs> so there's oh, actually... God. Okay. I, I'm going to that real quick. Um... <laughs> The current arc in the manga is a bunch of girls who really love him are now trying to produce it, be an idol unit for him so that they can win his love. But there's already been an idol unit. 
previously. So they are now going to the old idol unit to get to see how they can what they did to impress him for this idol unit. And I think if that is a representation of what this show is, I think that kind of makes sense. It's a huge parody on romance and the gags are really funny. I think it's really good. Like the animation is surprisingly Yeah. Like really solid, like really solid. And it does have a touch of Edo, but I think that's definitely, especially when uh, Hikari comes in. Got that shiny, shiny skin. Shiny, yep. shiny skin and that constant <laughs> low angle shot where it just is showing Hikari's butt like 90% of the time. And it's funny. Like it's, of all the shows that I didn't think would make me laugh as hard as it as I did, this is the one to really watch. I, I think it's also worth noting that Clearly, the anime is focusing on four characters, or at least from like the opening. There are four, uh, or maybe five girls, five girls that that they're like focusing on. But there is actually a hundred girls in this manga. It's gone on for a hundred chapters, and it's not like girlfriend of the week. It's literally like they just come in when it feels natural, and a lot of them they don't even involve these original five girls. Like it's just a very strange concept that they play off very well, and I'm really excited to see what they where they go. I was pleased. I, I have dragged my feet on picking this up because I am didn't get to hear me say it, but I agree with everything Andy said. I really didn't like the third season of Rent-A-Girlfriend. They, like, started making progress, and they frantically threw it back. So, like, I don't know if I can watch any romance anime this season. But I did like the idea that, like, the guy doesn't want to be etchy, and he's, like, trying to be, like, very, like, nice and normal and not... yeah. I know. I'm sure there's ways they find around that because it's anime and like, it, come on, we've been making this honestly, podcast ben, for almost Renta, a decade. <laughs> Rentaro is the the most good boy you could ever imagine. He's he is he, like half the but joke is he good because he's a potato. No, though? no, no, he's not. No, he's not a potato. He's, not. He's, he's half the okay. joke is that he is an incredibly good boyfriend to him. He goes to extreme lengths to to treat them well, mm. and he's he's like okay. Like the, and and you'll find out by the second. The second episode is about him trying to share the first kiss between two of them, but making sure that they both think that it is the first kiss. And it is really funny. It's such a dumb setup, but then they, it just keeps on going that I'm like, yeah, this is great. I would say that this is like the antidote to the rag blues. The other good antidote I find is as a separate kill blue, which is currently only a manga, but written by the guy who did, that is so funny a guy who is forced to date a woman but doesn't want to date her because he is actually a 40 year old adult assassin in a child's body who has a wife and child <laughs> like an ex-wife and a child and he, yeah 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 it's it's a weird it's a it's a fucking funny show I, I miss when i miss when titles were a whole <laughs> sentence so i could just get the premise pitched to me immediately yeah so you don't like, like i can't i can't believe i can't believe this child body is getting giving me a girlfriend when i have a wife well, and kid back home well, this is a hundred girlfriends who really 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 love you yes that's and true so, yeah. that's true that one actually is high concept yeah um that, that yeah kill blue if you want a fun like anti-romance manga that that's 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 what i'd recommend and is that getting an adaptation or you're just also reading it i'm just reading it i i it's okay. too early to get an adaptation this is, this is this is an anime podcast andy oh my god i'm so sorry <laughs> and, <laughs> well speaking of anime <laughs> I, I, I skip one month and I forget how to run a podcast, <laughs> apparently. Um, 
it did feel like a really long time. I was like lying in bed. I'm like, when was the last time I recorded a podcast? And to be fair, it was like late August. So yeah. it's been seasons have changed mm. and not just anime seasons. But yes, yeah, speaking of the changing seasons, the passage of time, speaking of sadness, depression, wondering if your projects are really fulfilling. Uh, I and I think everyone here is watching Soso no Freerin mm-hmm. or Freerin Beyond Journey's End. This is about an elf who realizes that humans don't live that long and maybe she should pay attention to what they say before they just die in like the next five seconds. Uh, <laughs> I no, I, I don't think that's fair. No, I, I, I'm being, well, I'm being, it's called I a joke, Andy. I no, know, I, I, I adore this. Like it's, I knew it's this and delicious in dungeon where it's like, Oh boy, it's going to be like someone who drilled down way too deep, like reached the earth's core of the concept when it comes to like, how do they eat and like supply themselves when they're going on adventure? And what happens when like all the humans are dead and the elf who is in the party is like, oh, yeah, remember that guy? I, I hung out with him for a brief 10 years. Mm-hmm. But this especially I've really enjoyed free run so far, not just because it's from someone who clearly appreciated the aesthetics of Record of Lodos War, but thought a lot harder about like the fantasy parts of it. Mm-hmm. But why did you have to bring up records of Lodos War? Because I'm thinking about it constantly. It's like that Roman Empire <laughs> meme. <laughs> but <laughs> how often does your anime boyfriend think about Record of Lodos War? Right in, people. Yes. Uh, no, well, just like the big long ears. Granted, it's not the shoulder pads, but it's the big long ears has like the weird like dwarves or these like these like cryptic stoic people who are just mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm going to go live in a house for the next 80 years and then die. <laughs> Good hanging with y'all. Yeah. But just watching her like be convinced to like, let humans back in her life after there's this very strong grief analog where like, she's like, it's not worth it taking an apprentice. Like I'll teach them everything I know and then they'll die. And like, what's the point of that? But just, so when I was coming up in my history graduate program, like the big fad was memory, like not just how things happened, but how subsequent generations remembered them. And I think Freerun, in addition to just being like good fantasy, well-acted characters, great performances, beautiful, although that dragon fight was kind of ropey. And I imagine they'll really? fix some, of some it people the... were, some people loved the dragon fight. Like, yeah, a I, lot of people I mean, like, I, I, I loved, I loved it. It's just like, un, like, like the backgrounds being undershaded. Like I get it. I would like, say it was an yeah. incredible amount of animation. But it was an uneven sequence, but it was yes it, very the, good. The, the rest, rest of it is kind of flawless, so I can see see why why you would come to that. Yeah, yeah, and I and I don't I don't mind. I just wonder if there it's something they're going to fix. Like it's. <laughs> I I found some of the background CG work in that town really ropey too. Like they are yeah, beautiful, yeah. beautiful like nature work. Like that stuff is fucking gorgeous. I could look at that all day. But as soon as I get to a town, it's like. How do you draw towns? Like, how do you make towns look realistic? We'll just draw like straight 90 degrees and, and like hard line blocks. I- to be fair, that's also in the manga and all fantasy manga. They kind of like forget that right, fantasy right. worlds aren't actually created by like laying tiles next to each other like in Dragon Quest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every single building in the town is, is looks like it's from 16th century Bavaria or something. Yeah, it's... I'm not accepting that, Jeff. One, because that's a fucking bullshit answer. What, what the fuck does that even mean? And two, uh, because the latest chapter where they have the demons, actually that town does look a lot better and does not feel so weirdly like tacked on. Uh, the town yeah. feel in that, especially when they focus on some of the stonework and the way that it's decaying and crumbling, like 
That's good shit. So what you're saying, Andy, is the houses in the the capital city were pristine, and the houses on the border town next to demons were sort of weathered. No, no, and... no, no. I had no, a point I was going to uh, make at because, one point because, before we started talking because, about houses. Hold, hold on, I'm just going to shut the fuck Duncan down because that was the town that was being attacked by the dragon. So why would that be pristine, motherfucker? Yeah literally got attacked by a dragon you see a dragon coming in and destroying because it. it's just been rebuilt it hasn't been rebuilt they didn't rebuild it all <laughs> <laughs> anyway what was your point ben? all this carry on ben. <laughs> sorry so yes I, I i do i do like the art i do honestly like that town shit like this is gonna sound snobby but then again i was just bringing up my history graduate program so that arrow <laughs> has left the bow but um I don't like when when shit just looks like too nice and new and neat when town planning is always is never like they never have these like ramshackle buildings. I'm just like, yeah, it's the same as like huge shoulder pads or massive swords that no human would actually wield because they're just too heavy. It's just it's the weird t- game of telephone from masterworks of Western fantasy like Lord of the Rings to D&D to translated to Japan to them. Yeah, the game of telephone. Like I, I've I've learned to develop a palette for that. It's like bad beer or something. I don't know. Uh, but what I really do like about this is, is that it really is concerned with like how things are remembered. The fact, the revelation, slight spoilers, that um, Freerin was the student of the person who invented human magic, and now her hobby is collecting forgeries of her mas- of her master's like spell book, in addition to like collecting useless spells. Uh, which she claims is because there was a guy a long time ago who thought it was kind of funny that she collected useless spells. But clearly there is this like idea that she sees herself as removed from time and that she doesn't experience grief and mourning and growing close to somebody. She feels that she she's just this kind of observer. She's resigned to this role. And so she's, I don't know, accepted like maintaining the statues, maintaining the roads, kind of just in this small way, maintaining the world that she saved 80 years ago. But at the same time, like we're watching her grow as she's forced to spend time around humans. They start learning her quirks like that she sleeps in, that she doesn't see spending three years in town as a particularly long <laughs> period of time yeah. as as her apprentice has to be like, we don't we don't live that long. <laughs> <laughs> when, when she's when she's in the prison, she's like, oh, I'm here for two years. Is that all? And they're like, no, you can't stay here for two years. Yeah. Well, it, it's especially when they're when she's like working on the, the spell to bring back the plants. And she says, don't worry, I'll be done soon. And her apprentice says, how many years is soon? And, <laughs> and she's like, oh, it's not like that. Like, I don't know, actually actually but so, so there's that and there's also just like the grief analogs the like trauma or like mental disability analogs that we have like a lot of very rich characters who are allowed to be like it's a very sad lonely story even though it's about traveling the world and rediscovering the world that she, that she didn't even think about it when she was just like saving it was like a fun trip and there's that great line that um i think uh, himmel the hero which i love Again, as a medieval story, that every single scene is like twenty-eight years since the death of Himmel the hero yeah. in in the North Countries and the city of blah blah blah. That's like literally like what you'd see at the start of like the next chapter of a chronicle. So there is this again sense of memory of how things are remembered. But like as she gradually like she thought it was this like fun trifling thing, and then she went to go like sleep in a sleep in a pond for for two hundred years. So yeah, I've I've really enjoyed it. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I love 
I said this about Spy Family, which I'm also I'm enjoying the second season of Spy Family. I loved your having a hurt butt and having to hide it. That's probably the funniest <laughs> episode I've seen in a while from the show. Yep. But like but just like Spy Family, it's nice to know that like, oh, this is going to get too core. We're going to have 20 odd episodes. They're going to get to have episodes that are about who these characters are and like why they believe the things they do. And it's not just going to be, as we talked about in the first segment, slamming between the major plot points to make sure that we hit everything and that no, no fan posts an angry Reddit screed or Twitter screed about, sorry, X screed about how this is destroying what's good about the manga. I think that's very true because it's been superb so far at just laying these little bits of information, which are, are then, a couple of episodes later come to fruition and like that's something which really plays well into a longer adaptation because you can just keep layering little bits of information and then it it's like oh yeah they told us this and of course this and i, I think like my my favorite bit of it has, has been the statues and how that's just developed from oh well yeah the, the himmel like himmel's a bit vainglorious and he likes to get statues made of him to mm-hmm. freya and talking about how no one even remembers what her uh, her tutor was like and Himmel hearing that and then the the next time we see them at a statue makers he's like well yeah at least you will remember what we were like and like like that's that's just like a lovely slow storytelling of and I think there's this sh- shot OPs are sometimes not the best ways of judging the character of a story, but I think like the way that the 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 OPNs with just this shot of mm-hmm. the pulling apart that like the the shot going two ways like Freire and at the heart of two parties and and the shots like pulling out from showing them to to showing her and like showing how she's like this bridge between two generations yeah. and like and the way that she's like looking towards her old party with a new party behind her of showing that she's always looking in the past when really the people behind her are the people that matters like yeah i thought that was a really beautiful end shot sorry <laughs> yeah and I, i've been a big fan of the manga for a long time and i really appreciate how sort of understated and sort of dry the uh like like the, the, the sort of general feeling of the show is because at, at its heart, it is a comedy, which might not come mm-hmm. across like mm-hmm. as clearly when we're talking about it. But the her the dynamic between Freren and her apprentice Fern, who she was you know more or less tricked into raising from a child and teaching magic by one of her old uh, party members, the you know like the corrupt drunken priest who is. <laughs> Heiter's good. Actually, yeah, yeah, Heiter, who has like you know, actually found God, maybe sort of in his like very advanced age, and you know, we get the uh, you know the sort of like the very human perspective of Fern living with uh, Frere and sort of like being a mother daughter to her, in that you know she sort of like keeps her alive and keeps her uh, like fed and getting up before noon and. When they finally get their third party member, Stark, who is also the apprentice of one of her previous party mates, uh, the dwarf, Eisen. When Fern or when Freren says, like, oh, we're going to stay here for three years waiting for the border to open. Fern, you know, is looking very concerned. And she looks at Stark and she's like, and Stark's like, I don't want to do that 
that seems like too long. She's like, right? I'm not crazy, right? It's <laughs> it's not normal to want to just hang out in a town for three years, right? Okay, thank God. Like <laughs> when Stark comes in, the comedy angles mm-hmm. that is like the the perfect because you basically have a Sukomi and no Boke, right? Yeah, yeah. And and to have that that sort of like someone to play off as well works yeah. very well. Yeah. And and it's nice in general, like she doesn't seem to like him. Like Fern doesn't seem to like Stark that much. Mm. And like he's like, fine, I'll go he's like, wanna go eat? And she's like, No, absolutely not. And says, so like, Okay, I'll go eat myself. And then she comes into the bar and he's like, What are you doing here? <laughs> and then he has to ask her later, he's like, Please stop calling me Stark Sama. And she's like, Okay, Stark. Which is a hard <laughs> joke to translate, but just like yeah. the drop from Sama to no honorific. It's I don't know. And it's like they don't have to fix that relationship mismatch in one episode they can take three four five which is mm-hmm. just nice to know that we they can pace the writing how they want and maybe i'll change my tune on that but right now i'm enjoying no, the I, slow meditative pace i feel that, he, that these it's very purposeful that these uh tropes and themes are very slowly resolved i don't think rushing it is really the central thesis of Freiren. but what i will say is talking about rushing it I think this is something that Duncan mentioned in the chat earlier. That OP, as much as I love Yoasobi, it doesn't work. It doesn't fit the mood of the show. Um, and I think that's a bit of a shame. I'm just happy that all the assholes online are, are like, oh, they paid their way into getting an OP. And it's just like, no, someone... <sighs> no. No, I I, <laughs> I I like it. I like it on principle, even though I, I I agree it's a bit lightweight, and I would appreciate something a bit more uh, spice and wolf op if I <laughs> yeah, had to, like, had to say something. You say that now, and, and you just cursed. well, not not the nakedness. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just it just doesn't fit, right? Like you look at yeah, you look at other shows like because I think the closest relations to this is like Kino's Journey and. Um, Mushishi. Yeah. And like that mm-hmm. has its own unique soundtrack to the OPs that did match the rest of the show. Whilst it does feel a little bit like, well, Yo Asobi is really hot right now. We got to get Yo Asobi mm-hmm. onto yeah. this yeah. premium production. But well, it's fine because it's not an easy get getting Yo Asobi in as well. I think I mentioned this when we were talking about Oshi. Uh, Oshi Noko. Yeah. 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 Kind of speaks volumes that those are the two shows and they're, they're kind of both giants. Yeah, um, I mean, like I said, it makes sense. But the way that Yoasobi works is they write their songs on books and on stories. So the first two albums are actually novels that they have based songs on. And so when they get asked to write openings for anime, they accept that they do it. But someone in the production has to write a chapter of the story so that they can base something on and release that publicly. So for Oshinoko, the mangaka wrote a story about Ai's sort of love for his kids. And then it's the same with, I don't know exactly what it was in Gundam, but there is a chapter out there that you can read for Gundam. And I presume it's the same about Freiren too. I don't know who wrote it, but that is a strange ask for a get which is, hmm. but obviously I also, I think that's why clearly they don't care about the show. Yo, Asobi, they just care about the music, which is fine. It works. Um, but it's not like King Gnu who I feel like yeah, that, that, they've that, done that, a whole that, bunch of stuff, but those, they did fucking ranking of Kings and they're also doing Jujutsu Kaisen. And they both feel that they fit thematically to the shows as musically and lyrically. Well, I think that Yo Asobi just does it lyrically and doesn't care, which is a shame, I feel. Mm. 
like it's close to to doing it. Like it starts off sort of whispery, and then then they have to do mm. the, the 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 classic. You have to be chorus drops. cuts in, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's just yeah. if if they hadn't done that and had kept it more restrained, I would have liked it. But I, I do I do like the how it ends with like the sort of like choral elements and and yeah. No, it's a good song, but like even the B- I would say even going to the BPM, it's just too fast a song. It's yeah. just not, it just doesn't match the tone of the show. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of like tone clashes when it comes to opening. <laughs> so I think it's better. Like, granted, it can't all be like Heike Monogatari, where it's like a happy song to remind you that like this incredibly sad anime, like the peak, the characters in it haven't always been suffering their whole life. Oh, yeah. It's always yeah. funny when you like have this like. This story about a mother and a daughter like losing touch, and it's just got like boop a doop a doop a doop. It's the OP. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Frantically run to your computer to hit like advance ninety seconds so that you don't like ruin your your vibe if you're benching but a lot. Especially once. that early two thousands, like really high pitched, quickly spoken sort of Denki song that came out after like Lucky Star. Oh, you're thinking of like like Hedain stuff? Is that his name? Uh, Hedain, yeah, I guess that's, yeah. um, I was more thinking of Kazoku Nikki, if you remember that show. Oh. But yeah, that, that had like an absolutely atrocious OP that makes you want to die. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll send you a picture, I'll send you it. Great, great, um, we'll link it in the show notes. <laughs> anyway, well, let's go ahead and clear this out with one other kind of fantasy period piece that I haven't gotten a chance to watch because... It just came out on streaming. Mm. Yeah, so um, Apothecary Diaries has come out on Netflix and on Crunchyroll. Um, it seems to be something which happen- is happening more often these days. So I'm not entirely sure how these co-licensing things happen, but the whole anime licensing thing is a black box. I dare not play open anyway. But the show itself is is has been highly enjoyable. And just like Freyan, it arrived complete with three episodes. Um, so Freyan... Uh, was a four-episode premiere, uh, which I, I mm-hmm. am told yeah. uh, aired as a single block in Japan, and uh, we got us split into four parts. I don't know the air- how the airing of um, Apothecary Diaries went exactly, but it did feel... It was more more free episodes of it. Um, it's a court drama. Uh, court as in... Uh, High uh, uh, Chinese uh, p- politics of uh, the medieval era, not uh, big guys in wigs slamming gavels down and shouting order, order. Um, it's, I think, like, as Andy said about 100 Girlfriends Who Really, Really Love You, it looks better than um, it has any right to do. It's not mm. got, like, any storied... Um, big animation studio behind it or heavyweight director but it it is has a wonderful sense of light in particular and it's a low-born girl who is abducted and took off to the inner palace where the, the courtesans live to work as a servant girl and her being the daughter of a an apothecary who's sort of picked up uh various little bits of herbal knowledge and gets she gets sort of spotted by one of the eunuchs when she tries to warn one of the concubines that she's being poisoned by her her makeup um she she tries to 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 warn with uh with by dropping a note on her windowsill because she she's realized 
this lady is basically using a poisonous thing in her makeup and it's poisoning her and poisoning her son who's touching her face and she tries to warn uh, it's happening to two different courtesans and this blame shifting back and forth in the in the court uh, are you different people accusing diff uh, the other side of poisoning them and she she drops basically a note on both of their windows telling them what's happening one of them pays heed and the other doesn't and so one child dies and the other survives and she gets well, i think i think one throws it away and the other one picks it up the other one yeah. sees it on the side and just yeah. throws it away yeah and then the other courtesan then goes and tries to tell her as well that like this is poisoning your baby and she yeah. still sees it and as an because of their, their factionalism they, they still don't believe her it's, it's so po their relationships become so poisoned mm. that she, even though she's trying to help her uh she ignores it and i i uh, that's immediately this kind of story which feels like it's going to come back like it, this is this is not the sort of thing where someone who and who has caused the death of their own child is going to be a character who's just forgotten and never mentioned again i think think we're going to see that particular courtesan crop up at some point again but I think the thing which really sells it is uh, Mamao, who's the, the, the this young uh, apothecary, is a proper gremlin of the first order. I, she is she's she, like there's the the sort of anime language of of giving someone cat's ears and like a smug expression in a, a chibi shot. She's kind of like very proud of her knowledge and mm. very stubborn, mm. um, and yet and doesn't have much respect for any of the courtly things because she's to her she sees it as exactly the same as the the um the brothel she worked in she doesn't see any difference between this um this big place where uh, everyone has putting on airs and the the sort of the rivalries of the the place she used to work all she's concentrated on initially is keeping her head down so she doesn't get in trouble. I think she's been told that she has to work there for three years, right? Yeah. Like she's, and so for her, she just wants to get out and get back to her family. Uh, and and then she can't help but be interested in this, uh, this courtesan kerfuffle and that curiosity takes the better of her to see where she is now. Yeah, hundred percent right. Like she, she is she. Like the the whole cat thing is, is partly because like she cannot stay. Her curiosity will. If she wasn't immune to every type of poison known to man, and because yeah, she, that... she, her curiosity would kill her. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, uh... that 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 was like the one bit where I was like, oh, of course. Like the, the, I, yeah. there's a reveal that you gotta have a special power. I guess I she doesn't turn into a giant, giant bird at night. It, or it, it can't just it, <laughs> it can't just be that she's a smart like she's got a lot of street smarts and she's a smart person and mm -hmm. she clearly like has a great interest which is the being an apothecary and being like a medicine maker. Um, but no, she has to also be uh, immune to all poisons, which I was like. Okay, fine, cool. Like... I, I, I do do like how they play it off as like, oh, she's been like trying them out on the on her arm, and and so she keeps it bandaged, and and all the the the, the, the her fellow uh, when she gets adopted into her mm. one the the noble woman's households, all the all the other uh, sort of uh, junior uh, 
of members of her staff are like see her hand wrapped up and like oh the poor girl we can't make her work she's been abused by her previous her family and beaten and sold <laughs> it's like no she's she's a mad woman who tests snake venom on herself well there is that but then you also find out that she's actually like deigned for death anyway because they think that she's not going to last very long in yeah. the job that she's got um She's going to be a food taster, which is yeah. why why this uh, this immunity to poison comes in uh, handy. Uh, I, I like how they discussed they didn't just make it oh like it's 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 just that she has a magical taste for it or anything. It's that oh she one thing she comments on immediately is like why why did you if you want me to be a food taster why are you using um, porcelain bowls instead of using metal ones because metal ones will corrode to certain poisons and it's like ah okay you're telling us a little bit of knowledge you're showing that she's smart well smart. actually actually the response was yeah we know we were testing you yeah that's what uh. I mean it's, 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 it's showing that it's not like uh, it isn't just that she has a special power it is that there is uh, knowledge there it's it's mm. what makes her special is, is what she knows not what she is true and true True. Yeah. Uh, it, she. So far, we've had a couple of little mysteries, and it feels like she's been on the edge of 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 the sort of inner circles of a small fish, sort of like on at the edge of a big pond, and it looks like she's going to get dragged into the sort of the heart of it in the next ep episode, where we've. I think it's looking like it's a request from either a high eunuch or the, or the emperor himself uh is gonna drag her into the, the whole thing and so i think like having a a character who's kind of a bit over her head is is, is has been good yeah Out, outsider drawn into a court full of intrigue in over their head but has some sort of special power that no one knows is a is a great genre and i do want to take issue with you said that uh, the director uh and series comp is no one of note because uh Naganuma, naganuma norihito has one particularly notable thing in recent history and he's the he's the writer and director for ancient megas's bride uh, is ancient megas uh, ride well, something of note ben i ask you well, you say I'm... that it's on his third season. Yeah, which aren't done by him. <laughs> no, he only did the first the first season in the prequel OVA. Um, he largely seems to do assistant direction for like Huzuki no Tetsu and Kimini Todoke and stuff. But he, I mean, I think he has more of a pedigree than a lot of people who are given like their mm -hmm. first spin on like a major series. Um, yeah, and uh, I do wonder not having watched much of ancient Megas bride, like how much of that is transferring over to kind of a more sedate personality driven court drama. Um, but I'd be happy to watch. I'm going to be happy to pick that up in, in, in the next few days, probably. Interestingly, yeah. this yeah. is the one of the, this is a co-production by, uh, two studios, one called o OLM, um, who, who did a lot of, of, of animation work and seemed to be mostly, uh, stuff for other other people and another one which is uh, uh toho animation studios which is literally hasn't existed before this this is their their first um uh, thing they've done any work on apart from doing some key assistance on uh, suzume so it's, it's yeah yeah well i mean toho uh, olm did like komi-san okay yeah. uh that would explain in the the, the chops there yeah I would say also going back to uh, the story real quick. Um, the other character mm -hmm. you've not really mentioned much is Jinshi. And so Jinshi is like the male 
uh, pretty boy who is put in the dark courtesan's chambers to try and attract uh, other courtesans to see if how faithful yeah. they are to the. That, 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 that's ed, properly ed, mean isn't it and uh, then like yeah, yeah. You, you put a pretty boy in specifically to try and make people uh, flirt with him and, but, and show disloyalty to the emperor but like, also he's a eunuch so he doesn't have a penis to even uh, <laughs> like to even do anything with but considering that that one of the little stories is is about him being given aphrodisiac by someone and then giving aphrodisiac to someone else part of me wonders is he actually a eunuch you don't i guess you don't know specifically but they we'll said have to find everyone, out does he have balls or not yeah people can still be under the effects of aphrodisiac even if they don't have the means to to use to relieve themselves right like also aphrodisiacs are mostly fantasy anyway so the rules don't apply <laughs> <laughs> um yeah that is true Jinchi is like a great sort of um pairing because he's a pretty boy and he's like everything that mao mao isn't so mao mao is is like determined and and uh strong and like really clever whilst jinshi is just this pretty boy who is constantly trying to win her over but has no idea how to do it and it is always funny when jinshi is trying to turn her on and trying to get her to woo her and then her face is just one of pure disgust just like for those three episodes it was hilarious and then someone another one of uh jinshi's like um yeah, his, his retainer. Command retainer then goes to her in private being like can you stop being so mean to him because he he really likes it and that's all he can think about <laughs> <laughs> and it's like it's like small little bits like that which which makes this show um an absolute delight to watch uh i really am enjoying it and i'm excited to see even the like the third episode was so beautiful just like a really sweet um again not mm. a story i don't think it's a story that like, it's a story that you've heard before um, but it was told in a way that was just really sweet and the way that it was trying to like pull the wool over your eyes and how they got away with it in these olden days. And it was, yeah, it was a really good, like it was a really good episode to end on like the free episode run. Uh, I, I'm so excited to see where it goes. It was, it had a wonderful, uh, bittersweet element mm. to it too, mm. as well, cause you had like, uh, one person getting what they want and another knowing they never will and like that was a, a very sad yeah, but the person who never will is going to be the emperor so he doesn't yeah, but... he doesn't count <laughs> <You know? laughs> I think me yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, yeah one last thing I just want to quickly bring up uh, to this show I really want to talk quickly about Miggy to Dali um which is a manga, a manga written by uh, Nami Sano, um, which was his, her last manga. She unfortunately passed away of cancer in 2023. And this is a very strange story about two identical twins who are in an orphanage. And then um, they get adopted by a family who only wants one person. So they then um, do a body swap, basically, of them in a in a hospital in their in their house so they're eating food and then he climbs under the sneaks under the under the table and then they swap in the most ridiculous way possible and i think it's trying to be creepy and weird but actually it's just really funny i don't know how much i'm going to watch of this i will probably watch it all because i'm really interested to see where it goes but it's really weird 
It's really funny and I'm enjoying it a lot. Um, more than I thought I would, especially considering the mother can't say jambalaya and it says it in the most insane way possible. Um, but that's probably because it's set in America, which again, I don't really understand why. But yeah, it's a weird mystery. And it, it says everywhere that it's just like a mystery and like a, and a suspense, but it's not. It's just comedy. It's just funny because there are two identical twins trying to get away with being one person. Um, and I like it. I don't really have much to say on it, but uh, I think it's going to be one to watch. Maybe hmm. I'll see. I'll tell you, let you know by the end of the, okay, by the end of the. You can tell show. us if it does turn out to be comedy or tragedy. <laughs> it's definitely got comedy chops because the the mangaka, like Nami Sato, wrote, Sano wrote um, <clears throat> the other big hit that he she wrote was "Haven't You Heard I'm Sakamoto," which was a comedy, which was. Okay, I, I, it wasn't my favorite thing, but it was. Okay. It had its yeah. funny. It's just one of those things in which he just kept doing the same joke over and over again. But this isn't yet doing that, but it might be verging on close. It's a very strange show. I would recommend you watch it. Uh, I'm watching it, and I'm interested to see where it goes. Um, Cool. Well, we'll be sure to check back in on that in a later episode. But speaking of later episodes, let's go ahead and wrap it up mm -hmm. because next month we are going to be returning to Tezuka and Tezuka adjacent works. We have a new version of Hinotori called Phoenix Eden 17 that's airing on Disney+. Plus. We have the uh, Pluto uh, eight episodes of Pluto coming that are inspired by Tezuka. And so, yeah, we haven't really talked much about about uh, the, the father of, of manga <laughs> since uh, since uh, episode 27, Robo Brains, when we covered Hinotori, uh, wow, a previous that long adaptation. Ago? Yeah, uh, oh, five if, and a half years. If only we could have made it 127, so. and that, that would have been perfect, like 100 episodes ago. Nah, we, we fought with too, too many tweens, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, uh, watch. we're going to be watching Pluto. Uh, yeah, just tune in. And but it will be it will be 52 episodes. No, 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 it's not quite 52. It's right? goes, it goes the other direction. Ah. You can't fix it. Sorry, it's 52 <laughs> like the weeks. Um, but yes. Uh, so go ahead and tune in for that. In the meantime, remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on the podcast platform of your choice. Email us questions, keyframespodcast at gmail.com. Find us on X, formerly Twitter, at keyframespod. Uh, Facebook, Keyframes Podcast. Just search for it. And of course, tell a friend. But not just any friend. I, I would tell the friend who's, for, te for them, 10 years is. It's but a, but a one one hundredth of their life. <laughs> Tell a friend who's just had a bad date because they hurt their butt and they can't sit down, but their husband <laughs> thinks they're just mad at them. Uh, Tell a friend who has the respect of the source material, a genuine <laughs> ability to I produce good it. TV, and the juice to push back on the suits who don't have the first two. Very true. But don't tell the suit. No. <laughs> Let them find out the hard way. Say goodbye, everybody. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.